Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you by Del Monte Foods, the brand preferred by more women than any other line of canned fruits and vegetables in the world. Not far from the mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story, The Loomis Affair. It was five after 11 when I walked into the Cairo Bank of Egypt and stepped up to the safety deposit box window. Good morning, sir. Could I help you? Yes, I'd like to get into my safety deposit box. Of course. Fill out this slip, please. A moment later, I'd given her my key, she'd taken hers, and we stepped into the vault. Then she handed me my box. Whose one is empty, sir? Oh, thank you. I'll be out here when you finish. I stepped into booth one, shut the door behind me. Then I opened my box. I'd come to check some insurance papers. It didn't take me long to find out what I'd come for. A few minutes later, I closed my box and was just getting ready to step out of the booth when something stopped me. I listened. It sounded like a low cry of pain, maybe, or, or like a cough that got caught in the throat. But whatever it was, it sounded unnatural. I listened again. All I heard was assorted sounds of the bank, and soon all the sounds confused me, and I wasn't... Mr. Adam? Oh, I know you. You're, you're, you're Danny... Danny Culver. You're the cop who let my boy get away. Have a drink, Danny. You've been wonderful to my boy. Come on, Danny, have a drink. No, don't mind him, Danny. Danny. He means no harm. He's a drunken sot, but he don't mean no harm. Go back to your bottle, Mr. Manning. <laughs> I'll do that thing, dearie. I'll just do that. You want to know if Tommy's been here, don't you? Has he? When you were a kid, did you ever hear it said Mrs. Mannon was a liar? No. Then you'll believe me when I tell you this. If Tommy so much as put foot in this house, I'd throw him back into the gutter he wallows in. That's no way to talk about Tommy. Tommy's good. Tommy's smart. Smart. I drink to my boy, Tommy. Then maybe you'll get a word to your smart boy, Mr. Millen. Tell him we want him. Tell him we want him bad enough to hurt him. Good night, Mrs. Mann. I went back to Broadway for only one reason. I was hungry. And eating alone is the loneliest time a man can have. On Broadway, there's always people. You can watch them and make up your own stories. Stories that didn't have murder in it. I dawdled over sweatnuts and coffee, made up my stories, then hit the street again. Part of it hit back at me, and it had the smell of lavender and a bit of old Irish lace in it. Danny! Danny Clover! Why, Janie, have you been following me? The post office business is blooming, Danny. 
Here's a posy for you. You've already pinned one on me today, remember? Ah, but this is a very special posy. Here, take it. <laughs> Thanks, Janie. I've always wanted a cornflower. I got it from a florist who says he's a dear friend of yours. Thank him for me. You think him, Danny. He doesn't live too far from here. You could get a cab. 2620 West 10th Street. First floor. Oh, that will be all. Yes, Captain. Jordan, you of course know of a man named Frank Loomis. Sure, I know him all right. I might even say that you once had a rather intense conflict with him, and not so long ago as that. I threw him out of my cafe, if that's what you mean. Loomis is a bum, you know that. He's taking a page out of the book of those old Chicago gangsters, trying to set up a protection racket. Tried it on me, and I threw him out. You too, Jordan, appear to have taken a page out of the book of those Chicago gangsters you talk about. Frank Loomis was knifed to death in booth number two of the Cairo Bank of Egypt at approximately 11 o'clock. And you, Jordan, appear to be the one who killed him. Hey, now, wait a minute, Sam. I've you examined got... the evidence, Jordan. There is no question that you were in conflict with Loomis. There is no question that you were in the booth next to him at the approximate time he was killed. Well, there are other booths. Someone else could have been on the other side of him. Booth three was empty. It is true that booths four, five, and six were occupied, and those people will be questioned as a matter of course. Hey, that but... list of names on your desk, those are the names of the people? Do not look to them for hope, Jordan. The evidence against you is too strong. Just what do you got, Sam? Jordan, let me explain first that Loomis's safety box was in the booth with him. It contained a packet of $5,000 in American money. Obviously, the motive for killing Loomis could not have been robbery, or the money would have been stolen. So far, that means nothing. The medical report shows that the knife severed a bone. It would require a person of strength to kill Loomis with a knife as he was killed. Well, there are a lot of weightlifters in town. The inkwell in Loomis's booth had spilled, and Loomis, before he died, spelled out your name with his finger. You're serious, aren't you? There are further things I wish to investigate. Just do not make any plans to leave Cairo. That is all for now. Well, Sam wasn't kidding, that was for sure. I felt like the tide was moving in because I knew what it meant to have Sam against you. Well, I walked to the corner, hailed a cab, and climbed in the back seat. And I pulled a slip of paper out of my pocket. It was the one Sam had on his desk. It listed the names and addresses of the other three people who were in the bank booths at the time Loomis was knifed. I figured the killer had to be one of those. Name one was B. Mulak, 178 Sharia Ifram Pasha. B. Mulak turned out to be a she pushing the century mark. She met me at the door with a crooked cane in one hand and an ivory-handled earphone in the other. Uh, what is it you ask? I said, do you know a man named Loomis? Oh, who is? Loomis. L-O-O. Look, at 11 o'clock this morning, you went to the Cairo Bank. If you say so, Effendi. You got your safety deposit box. If you say so, Effendi. You went into number four booth. Fine tooth, indeed it is, Effendi. It is the last one I have got. Uh, let it go. You don't know anything about Loomis. Who is? Sorry, I must have the wrong place. Name two on the list was Nicholas Markedian, a high dignitary in the Greek Orthodox Church. That turned out to be a blind alley, number two. The last name on the list was Joseph Diotto, address 17 Sharia El Moor. My cab pulled to a stop in front of his place late in the afternoon. Ran up the walk, rapped on the door. No answer, so I tried again. Peter. I'm looking for Joe Diotto. He isn't here. I'll speak to whoever is. It'll be a one-way conversation. Nobody's here. 
Open up or this door will be looking for hinges. You're a smart guy. It gets results. All right, you're in. What do you want? You Joe Diato? That depends. I think you are. And those suitcases over there say you're going on a trip. That's my business. Yeah, well, I'm making it mine. You know a guy named Frank Loomis? I've heard of him. He was knifed to death in one of the booths of the Cairo Bank this morning at 11. My condolences to Mrs. Loomis. You were in one of those booths at the bank around the same time Loomis was killed. Was I? The bank time record says so. You a cop? No, but the police will be here soon. Too late. I'll be gone. You look too good. I don't think I can let you go. I don't think you can stop me. Want to try? Joe Diotto's hand slipped down into his pocket. I had the feeling he was wrapping it around a gun. Then he just stood there waiting for me to come forward. I figured there was no percentage in it, so I pivoted and walked out of the place, hoping to make him think I'd given it up. I got into my cab and had the cabbie pull to a stop around the corner. I didn't have to wait long. A few moments later, another cab went by, Diotto in the back seat. So I tagged him. He ended up at the Cairo airport, and I saw him disappear into the crowd. I started out after him, then I heard the PA speak. EWH Constellation Flight 673 for Athens, Rome, Geneva, and Paris. Now loading at gate two. That was it, the auto's plane. I had to move faster. I pushed my way toward gate two, but I never made it. A heavy hand grabbed my arm and spun me around. So, Mr. Jordan, I find you here at the airport. Get your hand off me, Greco. You get my sleeve wet. You, Mr. Jordan, are in no position to tell me what to do. I find you at the Cairo airport preparing to take flight from the city. Take flight? Hey, wait a minute. You got this wrong. I have not got it wrong, Mr. Jordan. You were told by the Captain Saboyan not to leave the city. And yet I find you at the airport preparing to board that plane for another country. But what other action were we to expect from a murderer? Joe Diotto's getting on that plane. He's the one that's skipping. He's Loomis' murderer. A fabrication, Mr. Jordan. I'm afraid you will not be able to talk your way out of this. No, your head gets fatter all the time, Greco. I tell you, Diotto's getting on that plane. We have positive proof of your guilt in the Lewis affair, and we are sure of your motive. You remember the packet of $5,000 in American money found in Mr. Lewis's safety deposit box? Yeah, sure. We have now found a packet of $15,000 in American money with Frank Lewis's stamp on it. Lewis's money, stolen from his safety deposit box. And do you know where we found the $15,000? In your safety deposit box. What? There is no question about it. You killed Loomis and robbed him. Do one thing for me, Gregor. Stop that plane. Get the auto off and question. Hmm. It appears we are too late to take Mr. Diotto off that plane. But it doesn't seem to matter much, does it? We have our man anyway. Come along, Mr. Jordan. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. I'm glad I heard about it. It's wonderful, simply wonderful. Well, okay, if you say so, but what? Why, Larry, Del Monte tomato juice, of course, what else? <laughs> I might have guessed. That natural flavor always gets everybody enthusiastic. Honestly, I never thought I'd find a tomato juice quite so fresh-tasting, so naturally good. It tastes just like summer. Maybe it tastes like summer to you, but it tastes just like big red tomatoes picked right off the vine to me. Appetizing? 
Say, when you get real, true tomato flavor like that, you've got an appetizer for sure. That goes for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And how the youngsters do love it after school. Well, it doesn't sound as if one can of Del Monte tomato juice lasts long at your house. Goodness, no. Buy at least two or three cans at a time and keep it handy. That's my advice. Friends, you'll welcome that advice, too, once you enjoy the fresh, natural taste of Del Monte tomato juice. Look for it at your grocer's tomorrow. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Loomis Affair. Well, I was sitting in the neatest frame since Whistler's mother. Loomis was dead. As far as the police were concerned, I was it. I was in the bank booze at the time Loomis was knifed. He wrote my name on the blotter before he died. His money turned up in my safety deposit box. And to top it off, Joe Diano, the guy Sam should have... Listen to you, Lieutenant. Every night, Mr. Arnold, every night I say, let good things happen to me. Now you know a secret. Fine things, Lieutenant. Like silks and satin. Like me? People are interested in you and want the best for you. People want that. What people? People. Nice people who want to see you get along. Mind if I interrupt? Of course, interrupt. It's about Tommy Manon, isn't it? Of course. Now, go on. It isn't much. The nice people don't know what happened to Tommy. They don't want to know. They want this case closed as if Tommy were... Dead? Dead. They want this case closed. You can arrange it. Then nice things will happen to you. I'll try, Mr. Arnold. I really will. Splendid, Lieutenant. The nice people will be happy. You too. Goodbye, Mr. Clough. Yeah. Tartaglia. Uh, yeah, Danny. Send out a pickup for Georgia Webb. Brighton Hotel for Women. Pick her up and bring her down. Item two? Call the press room and give them the whole story on Tommy Manon. Tell them we found him dead, drowned, everything, the works. Yeah, Danny. Tell them this. Tell them we've got a witness who confessed everything, named Georgia Webb. She talked her head off. Got that? Yeah. Then do it. Okay, Danny. Uh, where are you going? Home, Tartaglio. Home. I'm going to sleep. When I got home, the landlady had left two things for me. A bowl of matzo ball soup and a manila envelope. They both looked inviting, so I tried the envelope first. $5,000. The nice thing that Arnold had promised would happen to me came so fast to such a nice round sum. What more could a man want out of life? $5,000 in a dish of matzo balls. I ate the soup, kissed the landlady, put the $5,000 in an envelope addressed to the D.A., Pulled a chair over to the window and sat there, watching the city burst into fragments of electric flame. I must have sat there a long time, because when I awoke, the night had a new shadow. The shadow of a man named Faulkner. I brought you the morning paper, Danny. They got your name all over it, splashed in red ink. I knew I'd make it someday. Thanks, Faulkner. Here's a nickel for your trouble. Red ink could be blood in the later editions, Danny. Oh, rotten place to sleep. A chair. Like some coffee? You can think better if you have coffee. And light. They tell me you're a man of virtue, Clover. Gratitude's a virtue. 
So whoever told me lied. It hurts you whenever people lie to you? It hurts me when a man of virtue is ungrateful. You shouldn't have booked Georgia Webb. You shouldn't have made a talk. You shouldn't have taken my $5,000. I've been naughty, haven't I? I have one question for you, Detective Mine. One little question. Your gun gives me three chances, I'll guess, in one. You want to know what Georgia told me? Possibly. Possibly it doesn't matter. But tell me anyway. You're bluffing, Faulkner. Your act is precious, is that the word? But you're bluffing. You're scared to death. So? Tell me why. Explicitly. Because your life depends on Georgia. Only, I've got her tucked away where you can't touch her. Explicit, huh? Put away the artillery, Faulkner. It'd be deemed ungracious for guests. Come in. Hello, Denny. Oh, you already have a visitor. It's your counselor, Faulkner. Happy day. Come in, Arnold. But now I don't have to come in. You already know what I came to tell you. Tell me anyway. I only that Faulkner is your man. The man who killed the policeman. The man who killed Tommy Mannon. Are you insane, Arnold? Watch him, Danny. He's dangerous. Are you double cross? I told you he was dangerous, Danny. He would have killed us both. Yeah, you shot him good the first time, Arnold. Why did you waste another bullet? Come on, let's take a walk to headquarters. Is it necessary? Yeah, it's necessary. I want to straighten out the records. Please. No joke. Okay, no jokes. I'll be real sincere. The public telephone over there, Fred. Oh, thanks. Captain Sam Sabayo speaking. Uh, Sam. Jordan. Jordan, turn yourself in. You want in enough trouble already without trying to escape. Look, let's talk about Joe Diotto. Oh, yes, Joe Diotto. I understand he ended up down at headquarters. Yes, Jordan. Mr. Diotto is here even now. Did you get anywhere, Sam? Can you crack him? I understand, Jordan, that you are of the opinion Mr. Diotto killed Frank Loomis. Yeah, that's right. Jordan, we have questioned Mr. Diotto extensively. In fact, he kindly postponed his trip to Rome, Italy, just so that we could talk to him. For your information, Mr. Diotto is an agent of your own American police force who what? was in Cairo on special business. He was cleared by the Egyptian government Department of Security. And he's in no way connected with the killing of Frank Loomis. Now, wait a minute, Sam. There must be some mistake. There is no possibility of mistake, Jordan. Now, I suggest you turn yourself in, since you cannot escape responsibility for Loomis's death. Sorry, Sam. No can do. There must be another answer someplace. Sure, there must be another answer someplace, but where? I went through the list of people who were at the bank booths at the time Loomis was killed. B. Mulak, the old lady of the fine tooth. Nothing there. Nicholas Markedian of the Greek Orthodox Church. Nothing there. Joe Diotto, the American police, cleared by the Egyptian Department of Security. Nothing there. But there had to be an answer. Someone killed Loomis. Someone somehow put his money in my safety deposit box. Then suddenly it hit me. There was someone else at the bank booths. Someone who I hadn't even thought about. I was still in the phone booth, so I picked up the phone book, threw it open to the F's, and got an address on Sharia Rukar. Mr. Jordan. Surprise, Miss Farno. Well, I, I didn't... Really... I'll come in if you don't mind. I don't think that you... Thank you. You shouldn't be here, Mr. Jordan. The police... Palace of fun. Hall of mirrors. You pay your way and you take your choice. Me? I get in on a pass. 
the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my Beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover and is written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The musical score was conducted by Wilbur Hatch, and the program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The cast tonight included Jane Morgan, Peggy Weber, Doris Singleton, Charles Calvert, Joe Kearns, Herb Butterfield, and Sidney Miller. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Broadway's My Beat. From Times Square to Columbus Circle. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Broadway, where a pale and hungry girl walks like a queen because Broadway's a dream street. Where a fat man stands with begging eyes because he knows his dreams will never come true. It's a cry or a laugh, but nothing in between. Either way, it's My Beat. On special detail, there are no special hours. Don was at the window of my office at police headquarters when I scribbled my last report. An out-of-town school teacher was trying to beat the heat by using Columbus Circle for a burlesque runway. <laughs> I buried that one behind a convenient fan. Bid the boys a fond bonjour and started home out the side entrance. I didn't make it. All I saw of sunrise was in an alley. The alley reserved for police ambulances coming home to the morgue. A voice stopped me and invited me in. Danny! Danny, come here! The man who stood silhouetted in the slice of light was a man who called himself Capek, a freelance photographer who hung around headquarters. You never knew he was there, but he always was. The quality of dawn, Danny. Who can hold it? Who can imprison it? It is the eternal enigma for a photographer. Why don't you go home then, Capek? What keeps you here? Uh, that ambulance, perhaps. Huh? You see, creative men like me have a devotion. It is always the same. Perfection. Everything neat and perfection. Oh, so that's what it is. I watch that stretcher, Joe. Yeah, okay. Hiya, Danny. Yeah. Hi, what do you got, boys? Uh, suicide. Guy jumped in front of an 8th Avenue subway. I didn't know anything about it. Well, not your department, Danny. See you later. See what I mean, Danny? Hmm? Neat and perfection. The man they're bringing in, for instance. What's neat about him? That was Jimmy Dorn. A Cinderella man who only the other day won $17,000 on the Irish sweepstakes. What? You must have read about him. How no newspaper, no newsreel could get a picture of him. Yeah, I remember. He was shy. I liked him for that. But I have a picture of him. Oh? Hmm? Dead or alive. 
Alive, of course. <laughs> Dead is for any hack with a brownie. Got it with you? Mind if I see it? No harm. I've already sold it to the news. Here, here, look at it, Annie. Not the delicate play of light and shadow. The exquisite... Oh, this guy looks happy. I've never seen anybody look that happy. Because Capek took it at the moment of Jimmy Dorn's greatest joy. The supreme ecstasy of winning $17,000. Yeah, to each his own. How did you get it when no one else could? Hmm. <laughs> this famous Capek tact. It cost me $50 to arrange it. But the news paid me twice that. That much, huh? When Mr. Dorn committed suicide, it raised the price. <laughs> you see, in the newspaper game, yeah. one that's not... Excuse me, Capek. Yeah. Danny Clover, give me the dope on a suicide name of Jimmy Dorn. Yeah, I know it's not my department. I'm nosy. Yeah. Yeah. Lily Dorn, 3rd Avenue. Okay, that's enough. You have to look, Danny. You smell something, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Be with you in a second, Keeper. Hello, Benny. Danny Clover. That Jimmy Dorn suicide. Tell the chief I'm going to look into it. Yeah, Benny, yeah, I, I know, but it bothers me. Sure, I'll grab some sleep on the subway. I asked you, Danny, you smell something, maybe? Why should a guy let a subway train make his wife a widow with 17000 orphan dollars? Why should all that sudden dough make him want to commit suicide? Mm, is it such a secret why men destroy themselves? Yeah, to me. It's not neat, K-Pay. It just ain't neat. Third Avenue is a tenement five stories high and miles long. At nine o'clock in the morning, it was going full blast. The elevated, housewives hunched in open windows, kids flipping pennies against the wall, and every seven minutes, it screams. Somewhere between Sam Chu's hand laundry, special attention paid to pleated dress shirts, and the Blue Star Delicatessen, cream soda and hot pastrami two bits, somewhere between there was a doorbell. I pushed it. Yeah? What do you want? My name's Danny Clover. I want to see Mrs. Dorn. Suddenly, everybody wants to see Mrs. Dorn. Suddenly, I'm a popular lady. Suddenly, I'm... I'm from the police, Mrs. Dorn. You guys don't quit, do you? All right. Come on in. You want to know how it is to win $17,000? Is that what you want to know? Look, Mrs. Dorn, I'm sorry about your husband. Oh, sure. You can feel any way you like. Tell me about your husband. Jimmy? Yeah. I'll tell you about him. Jimmy didn't like people. He got afraid of them once, and he never got over it. Why? You know, I don't know. He was always running, and I ran with him. I was his wife, Mr. Clover. I didn't need to know any more than that. But maybe you understood why he refused to see any reporters when he won all that money. Listen. My husband was a frightened little man who won a sweepstakes. They bought him an obituary. That doesn't tell me much. This room tells me more. This rat hole. This room says that, doesn't it? Rat hole. I didn't say that, Mrs. Dorn. I'm talking about that circus poster on the wall. Patsy Mack presents the three whirling tornadoes. Was your husband a whirling tornado? You can go now, policeman. You said your questions. Now go. Brody, please. Why didn't you stay in that room? They can't do anything more to us now. Come right on in, mister. Who are you? I'm a clever boy. 
I don't win sweepstakes, but I stay alive. Yeah, real clever. Now, what about this circus poster? It covers the cracks in the plaster. Three whirling tornadoes. Three men riding motorcycles in a barrel. Mrs. Dorn, for a frightened man, your husband made a dangerous dollar. Look, I told you all I know. Maybe you ought to get out of here. Why should a poster come between us, Mrs. Dorn? We were getting along fine. You heard the lady copper. She's saying she's finished talking. That's right, Mrs. Dorn? Yeah. What did you say? I said that's right. Maybe I should have let it alone and got some sleep. But it kept eating at me. When I found out Jimmy Dorn rode a motorcycle in a barrel, everybody got unhappy. I don't like it when it gets unhappy. So I took a walk and found myself on Broadway in front of a tired building that has a lot of names. You take your choice. You walk up four flights and you get four offers. You're perfect for a fairy tale ballet that's opening in Europe. You make a stunning cover on a muscle magazine. Can you play first trumpet with a Bob Hawaiian outfit? If you got a song that's trying to be published, fall at a slight fear. And on the fifth floor, you find what you were looking for. The office of Patsy Mack, promoter, entrepreneur, and a dollar a guy. Well, it isn't Danny Clover. Hi, Patsy. You still pound the stem, Danny? Aren't you ever going to be promoted? <laughs> Promotion means a desk job away from Broadway. Who wants that? Yeah, I know what you mean. Can I give you something? Yeah, great juice would be keen. I've got three fingers left of a bottle given me by a bearded lady who was enamored of my uh, social standing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll bring a smile to your lips. You drink it, Patsy, and thank her for me, Patsy. Send her a dozen blue roses, uh, or is it red roses for a bearded lady? Yeah, I'll do that. She'll appreciate it. She loves delicacy. Uh, don't they all? Patsy, tell me a story. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, let me see. Who? Have you heard the one yeah. about... Yeah, tell me the one about the three whirling tornadoes. The three tornadoes? <laughs> what fond corner of your memory uh, clutched onto them? Tell me about them. Well, I don't remember much about them, Danny. They've been out of the business a long time. The three tornadoes, huh? Well, there were three of them. Thanks. There was no one else connected with them. Oh, no, no. The tornadoes ran their own carny. Two of the villages and the metropolises. Patsy, you've got a reputation for remembering every act that ever played a circus or carnival. What were their names? Oh, you put me on my metal, boy. Now, let me see. There was a, uh, let me see, a Jimmy Dorn. Dorn. Yeah, I think. Oh, Could he be the one who ended up under a subway this morning? I'll look into it. Who were the others, Patsy? Well, there was a fellow named, uh, let me see now, a Russian kind of a name, uh, Danilov. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Joe Danilov. Joe Danilov. And the third? Oh, now you're pressing me, boy. The third was a man named, uh, let me see. Brady? No, 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 no. Could it have been Brody? Uh, Brody, Brody, that's it. Well, how'd you know, Danny? Brady, Brody, it's a short jump. I'll try real hard. You're sure there was no one else connected with the act? Well, now come to think of it, there was another guy. Yeah? He backed the show, I think. Oh, his name doesn't register, Danny. This guy whose name doesn't register. Was it you? Oh, oh are you kidding? I had nothing to do with the tornado. Well, thanksy, thanks a lot. You're you're a gentleman and a scholar, Patsy, and a liar. I left Patsy there waving his jaw at nothing, which is about what I have—nothing. An ex-carnival performer wins seventeen thousand dollars and dies under the wheels of the subway train. They say he jumped. Why should he do a fatal thing like that? Why should Patsy lie to me? A one-sheet poster said. Patsy Mack presents the three whirling tornadoes. Patsy had just told me he had nothing to do with the tornadoes. Well, there's another guy I know in another place I know. 
His name's Pop, and he takes care of the file room of a magazine. Magazine that tells a lot about people, especially if the people are show people. The file room was deserted except for Pop. What you doing down here, Danny? Wrangling, Pop. Oh, you don't have to hide that comic book from me. <laughs> my wife packs it with my lunch, Dan. Now, you take this one. Yeah. Sandra, the jungle queen. <laughs> Ain't she a honey? <laughs> Makes a man with me. Yeah, she's keen. What are you holding on a guy named Joe Daniloff, Pop? Take a second to find out. How was that name again? Daniloff, Pop. D for doll, A for avenue, N for... Uh, avenue, N? Yeah, avenue, N, Pop. Yeah, I got it. Only, uh, you didn't spell it right, Denny. You didn't let me finish. Didn't need to. Here's the file on Joe Daniloff, all right. Only it's D for dead. Let me see that. Joe Daniloff, ex-carnival performer, a member of the Three Tornadoes, was found dead today at the bottom of an elevator shaft. Daniloff left no survivors, his wife having died a year ago. Hey. Hey, how about this? How about what? Listen. A week before his death, Danilov came out of obscurity to win a cross-country motorcycle race with a purse of $1,000. So he made funeral expenses. That's hot news, huh? Last night, another man, a man named Jimmy Dorn, came out of obscurity to win a lot of money. He died, too. Two whirling tornadoes all played out, one after another. You know something, Danny? What? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry, Pop. I was playing with a jigsaw puzzle. Well, you sit right down there and do just that. I'm going upstairs for some coffee. You want some? Hmm? Coffee, Daddy. Want some? Yeah, your coffee. Be nice, Pop. I'll just be a few minutes. Don't let anybody kidnap Sandra the jungle. Yeah, yeah. Two whirling tornadoes. The third one named Brody. Maybe you'll blow away, too. Brody and the bitter widow Dawn and Patsy Mack, the sweet guy who told lies. That's you, Pop. Oh. I never knew what it was that slugged me on the back of my head. It wasn't a comic book. And whoever did it wasn't Pop. Just before I hit the floor, I had a flash. It wasn't Sandra the Jungle Queen either. You are listening to Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. paying guests mysteriously disappear. Two elderly spinsters who entertain them have a suspiciously rising bank account. And it's a murder farm story for Casey, crime photographer, to explore on CBS Tonight. Also on CBS Tonight, you'll hear the network's famous series, Escape, in place of suspense, while suspense is on summer leave of absence. Tonight's opener on Escape will be John Russell's famous story, The Fourth Man, a tale of a Pacific Islander adrift on a raft with three murderous companions. Be sure to hear Murder Farm on Crime Photographer and The Fourth Man on Escape tonight. They come to you on most of these same CBS stations. And now back to Broadway's My Beat. You win a lot of money or die violently or do both and Broadway will know all about you. You get your name and your picture in the morning editions. Then Broadway won't care anymore. But I care. Maybe it's because I've got a cop's curious mind, but it bothered me why Jimmy Dawn died. So I made it my personal business. And so far, business was rotten. I was on my back when Pop brought me to. It took a little longer to find out that the press clippings I was looking at weren't around. <laughs> That's a new one. Roll for some old press clippings. 
This needed thinking. To think a cop's got to eat. To eat, there's a classy sidewalk cafe on the corner of Broadway and 47th where you stand up to a hot dog and a cup of coffee that dares you. I threw a lump of sugar at it when someone tapped me on the shoulder. Hello, Danny. Mind if I join you? Oh, okay, Peg. Not at all. Grab a napkin. Danny, somehow you look unsymmetrical today. What happened to your head? I had it done over. Oh, you're detectives. Always intruding yourselves into violence and danger. Who did it, Dan? Person or persons unknown. Well, you should go home and get some rest. Yeah, what about you, Kipek? Don't you get any sleep either? Uh, I am a vain man, Danny. I've been waiting for the noon edition of the news to come out. It has the picture I took of Jimmy Dorn. Look at it, Danny. Yeah. Is it not a magnificent reproduction? Yeah, it's quite a picture. How'd you catch the expression? Uh, for an artist like me, it is a matter of precise timing. But somehow... I feel the caption beneath this picture is not right. What do you mean? I feel the caption should not read suicide. It should read murder. Oh? What makes you say that? I have captured death in my pictures for a long time, Danny. This is the face of a man whom death was about to touch with murder, not with suicide. You talk prettier, but you think like a cop. The elements for murder are three, Danny. A widow with $17,000, perhaps a boyfriend, and... Wait a minute, Danny. Where are you going? You haven't touched your... I'm going to make a call. So you can't eat first? Who calls on a rich widow with onions in his breath? Hey, you up there. You who? You at the window. Who, me? Yeah, you. Oh, hello. Hello. Mrs. Dorn, isn't she home? You want somebody, mister? Mrs. Dorn, I've been ringing your bell. Where is she? You know where Mrs. Dorn went? There's no light downstairs. Her? Yeah, her. Oh, sure, she had a date. For across the street. What? For across the street, mister. The Eagle Tavern. I saw her go in there with a guy. The Eagle Tavern took up 40 front feet of sidewalk, and its insides were designed to take up thousands of man hours of loneliness. Right now, there were only three lonely people. The bartender, Mrs. Dorn, and Brody. Mrs. Dorn and Brody were standing at the end of the bar crying real hard. I hated to do it, but I decided to ruin their evening for them. You don't know when to quit, do you, Clover? Why do you keep coming around? Like I was saying, Mrs. Dorn. What are you drinking, Mac? Nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, you can nurse that a long time. Mr. Clover, look, please, we don't want any trouble. We got all the... It's this way, Mrs. Dorn. A long time ago, a man named Joe Danilov fell down an elevator shaft and was killed. Seems like he was nobody until he won a motorcycle race. Then he got his name in the papers. Then he died. What does that do to you? What should it do to us? I'll try a refresher. Joe Danilov was a whirling tornado. He belonged in your husband's act, Mrs. Dorn. Try to react on that. I don't know what you're talking about. You got your reaction, Clover. Now blow. Mrs. Dorn, you know your husband just might have been murdered. No. Try it, Mrs. Dorn. Consider it. You've got no manners at all. All you've got is a loose mouth. Wait a minute, Brody. The man said somebody might have killed Jimmy. Do you think so, Brody? Ah, this guy's trying to put poison in your brain, Lily. Don't listen to him. You think I shouldn't, huh? Why should you listen to you, Brody? Go read a book, copper. Go read a book and find out why I should hang around a woman who's married to my best friend, Jimmy Dorn. Maybe you're waiting for him to die. He did, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. I never thought of it before. Jimmy's dead, and that makes you number one boy to a lady who just inherited $17,000. That'll teach you, Lily. That'll teach you not to talk like that. Talking a woman's easy, Brody. This will be a little... Hey, what are you doing? What now, Sam? Miss Farno, I suggest that you go home and rest. We will contact you later. Yes, Captain Sabaya. Oh, Captain. Yes, Miss Farno? 
I just want to say that while I knew Bart was going to steal the tax books from Mr. Loomis, I did not know that he was going to kill. Yes, I see. You see, a girl does not always know the true nature of the man she falls in love with. Goodbye, Captain Savaya. Goodbye, Miss Farno. And goodbye, Mr. Jordan. Goodbye. Uh, sad case, Jordan. Yeah. What are you going to do with her, Sam? Well, I have some alternatives. I could charge her with accessory to the murder of Frank Loomis, or I could simply charge her with accessory to the robbery of Loomis's money. Or? Or I could let her go. I Sam. I did not say I would let her go, Jordan. Let's look at it this way, Sam. I got a couple of alternatives, too. Hmm? I could sue you for false arrest... Defamation of character, raise a lot of noise. Or? Or let you go. Yeah. I see your point, Jordan. Shall we consider the incident closed? For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and tomato juice. And Del Monte whole peeled tomatoes. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. My beat. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes, with script by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Musical direction is by Lud Bluffkin. Be sure to join us again next week, same time, same station, for Broadway's My Beat. In just a few minutes on most of these same CBS stations, you'll be hearing the familiar strains of Someday I'll Find You. And the action, as you know, starts with Mr. Keene, the famed tracer of lost persons. A top-rating detective throughout radio's fall, winter, and spring seasons, Mr. Keene will be on hand all summer. So don't miss uh, one of his great cases these Thursday nights on CBS. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. beat from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover.
November settles down over Broadway, everybody's got a lot to cheer about. It's the time of the hot dog. It's the season of the rackety racks and the split T formation. And the coaches, left hand on the pigskin, who swear their boys aren't being brutal out there in the field, just eager. It's the month of the old grad, the co-ed, the bottle, the blanket, and what is known as the nippy tang. It's a time to be alive. There's a place just off of Broadway, a room sealed off from every other place in the world, structurally designed to keep out everything but pain. The police morgue, where I was, where Detective Muggerman was, and the slabs that held two men newly dead. Alcohol poisoning, Danny. They're shipped here from the emergency hospital for identification. You know who they are? Yeah. Uh, this one, Joey Macklin. Bowery, pickpocket, bum, panhandler, rummy. Now, this one... You know him? No. He's the reason why I called you down here, though. Notice anything, Danny? Mm, looks pretty well fed. Fingernails look like they'd been manicured not too long ago. Uh-huh. A couple other things. This. Found this crumpled mask in his pocket. Take a look at his clothes. Really raggy, huh? Underneath, he's wearing silk underwear. You taking prints? Last night, soon as they came in. Code number sent to Washington right away. You say the emergency hospital sent them over? Yeah, they staggered in there practically blind from the bamboos, screaming. We couldn't help them, Danny. They were too far gone. They had the liquor on them? No. Nope. There's liable to be a lot more of it someplace, Muggerman. Methyl alcohol and peach juice and beating oil. How can people... I've seen them brought in after they've strained paint through a piece of bread. I've seen them... Yeah, try... yeah. You're right about this one, Muggerman. He looks too patently a bum. That's why he looks out of place. Uh, I figured that, too. A little strange, huh? And then it closes in on you, this place of the derelict dead. The windows are high on the moist walls, high so that dead fingers can't reach, open, let the sobbing of death be heard in the autumn air. The sunlight feels along the windows webbed with threads of steel, and the warmth is taken and held before it can touch the people of a room that is forever cold. All of it has been yours countless times, and still the shudder comes, and you try not to let them see it. Then you take Detective Muggerman's comment that it's strange. Take it with you into a long corridor up a flight of stairs. Drop it on a 